in Lent, uh, our lectionary does a very unusual thing in that it sense that it jumps about a bit all over the place rather than following uh, a particular uh, passage. It, it tends to sort of follow themes. And so uh, the reading this morning actually comes from the passage uh, just before what we had last week. So there's not a mistake in our printing. That is what the lectionary does. Uh, it's taken us back to the beginning of Luke 13, uh, which Olivia is going to come and read for us uh, now. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but, in, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig round it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So a nice, easy, <laughs> reflective uh, passage for, for Lent. Let's just um, pray for a moment. God, our desire is to be formed and shaped by your word. Our desire is to know Jesus better. Our desire is to be in relationship with you. Our desire is to encounter you through your word afresh this morning. Amen. So when I saw uh, the passage for this morning and, and knew that dragonflies were leading us in worship, I was really kind of seeking God as to where, how and where those two things uh, fit together and, and how, do we, uh, how, how do we respond to this. And I, I sensed that, that God was saying that, that the number or the way in which we approach a passage like this will depend on so many things. Uh, so many things that, we, that we've experienced in our own lives will, will affect the way that we view passages like this where Jesus is saying really strong and difficult and, and, and challenging words to, to the people that he's speaking to and to us today. For some of you here, you may be here this morning and, and there's been such an injustice caused to you that you really need God to be this judging God in the sky who's going to punish the wicked because it feels for you that's the only way you can receive justice or the person uh, that has wronged you is going to come to justice. For others of you, it may be that your medical makeup or your personality means that you need to have a black and white view of the gospel and of, of how the gospel works and you don't, you can't cope with grayscale in your, in your life or in the gospel and that's totally understandable for others here you may have a father wound so deep or such bad teaching from the past that's caused you to believe that God is just waiting to judge us or waiting for us to slip up so we so he can punish us for others of you for some reason you've come to believe that God wants to make it as hard as possible for people to be in relationship with him uh, I, it's sad when that happens but some people just feel that God just wants to make it difficult for us for others, that you need passages like this to confirm what you've always believed, that lie that you'll never be good enough and you'll never measure up. And passages like this just confirm what you've always believed, even though we know it's a lie from the enemy. 
Or maybe passages like this create fear in you because you just don't know whether or not you're going to make the cut. And you're just really terrified about what that future may hold. For others of you, just as dangerous, you feel that you're so okay with Jesus, you don't need passages like this. Everything's hunky-dory. I don't need these difficult passages about judgment. Everything's all right. Now, whatever the result is, when we approach a passage like this, we need to understand that our upbringing, our culture, the church we've grown up in, our understanding of the gospel, all shape how we view words like this from Jesus. But what we see here is Jesus talking about holiness, about set-apartness, about being in relationship with him. It's that balance, that beautiful balance between the friendship and the fear of Jesus. That yes, Jesus is our friend, but at the same time, he is still God. We are in awe of who he is, in awe and wonder of who he is. And Jesus is saying these things not to cause condemnation, but to move people to change, which is what repentance is, moving people to change. And when you read passages like this and you hear these words of Jesus, the powerful words that he's speaking, what we need to understand is that this isn't coming from a punishing God ready to punish us, but from a father who knows how high the stakes are. Because this is about the battle between God, the world, the flesh, and the devil for our very souls. Our very selves. And God wants so desperately for us to step into the identity he's given us as those who partner with him, who reign with him. That's what makes us unique in God's image. That's what separates us from the animals, is what God created us for, the purpose to be working with him, partnering with him. And he knows that it will come at great cost to us to follow him. But he knows the fruit as a result will be everlasting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Hands if you've read The Cost of Discipleship. It's a very small book, but it's not easy. Uh, Sometimes you see a small book and you think, oh, that'd be an easy read. It's not an easy read. Those of you who read it, it's fairly heavy because Bonhoeffer did write in quite a heavy way. And he's writing about the cost of discipleship, quite rightly, that when you think about being a disciple of Jesus, there are issues of surrender, of taking up your cross and following him. There may be persecution ahead. It's all about surrender and things that we struggle with and there is a cost to our discipleship but as Dallas Dallas Willard points out in his book The Greater Mission the cost of non-discipleship is far higher you know it does cost to be a disciple of Jesus but the cost of not being a disciple of Jesus is far higher far greater this isn't about getting into heaven this is about remaining in the vine It's about choosing life with God today. It's ultimately about surrendering surrendering your life to Jesus and being his apprentice, whatever the cost. What Jesus is talking about in this message of repentance here, for those who are just beginning to accept and acknowledge who Jesus is and and what he's come to do and, and, and who he really is as the Son of God and what following him will mean, he's talking here about the difference between being a Christian, a word that appears three times in the New Testament, And being a disciple of Jesus, a phrase that appears 269 times in the New Testament. This is about living what you profess to be true. This is about choosing that life and through that bearing fruit that will last. The stakes couldn't be higher, which is why Jesus' words and God's words through him are so strong. Because our Father in heaven knows 
how high these stakes are. And he's so desperate for us, as he was through the prophets of old, now through Jesus, that we choose him. That we choose life with him. And our choice to follow shouldn't come from a fear of judgment or even really the promise of eternity, but from knowing what he's calling us to, back to what we were made for, that relationship and partnership with him. And then he brings in this curious parable of the fig tree that's not bearing fruit. And the person who is responsible for that fig tree says, put it out, give up, start again. That's my approach to gardening. I'll be honest, that is exactly how I do gardening. Uh, When we first arrived here, I ripped so much out of our garden uh, that it was probably unrecognizable by the end. Uh, But that's just my approach to gardening. And and to be honest, that's kind of how we would, if we were God, let's be honest, that's how we do it. Rip it out, start again. As you look at the events of the world, you think, rip it out, start again. God, why are you doing this? the way that you're doing. But this is a parable about God's patience and mercy, about the fact that he's the God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances for the people of Israel. He's writing, speaking here to Jewish people who have rejected him time and time and time again. And what he's essentially saying is in Jesus, in this person that stood before you, I'm giving you one more chance to see how much I want to be in relationship with you and want you in relationship with me. And so he's saying that whilst I could just rip out the tree, I'm not going to because that would go against the covenant and promise I've made with you to send Jesus into this world. And he has come to give you that chance, people of Israel, to once again choose relationship with me. And this is a big chance. This is a golden opportunity to choose that life. And what he's basically saying is that I'm I'm changing the environment around you so much through Jesus that if you turn the soil, the water of life is going to come in. And he's going to turn your life around and draw you into that relationship. And he's inviting us to not miss that chance. Don't miss the chance that's before you to be a follower of Jesus and therefore a relationship with God that leads to everlasting life, but also life in all its fullness today. And it is difficult because it is a passage about sin. God is talking very clearly to the people of Israel about their sin. And what he's saying very, very strongly, because essentially the context is this, is they've come to Jesus to complain about the Galileans who are doing these terrible, awful things. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't compare sin like that. You can't say that one particular sin is worse than another. In the eyes of God, sin is sin is sin. And you can't do that kind of comparison thing. And what he's saying really strongly, and this is a really hard challenge to us, is that his desire for us is that we do absolutely detest sin as much as he does. One of my favorite preachers, Francis Chan, I think it was either for his 40th or 50th birthday, I can't remember. He asked his church to hold a prayer, prayer night, basically, for praying for the church, praying for everything else. And he set five prayer requests for him as their leader. And there are a number of obvious ones, like getting to know Jesus better and all those things. But one of his prayer requests is that I would detest sin in my own life as much as God does. So much so that I choose to walk away from it. And what we've got to be really careful for is avoiding what the Jews do here and making sure that we don't detest detest sin in the lives of others before we detest it in our own life. 
We can't judge the sin of others before we detest it in our own life. And even then, we still can't judge anyway because that's Jesus' job alone. And so he's inviting them into this understanding that sin is sin is sin, but what he's offering is life. He's offering life in relationship with him, that he's giving them this third, fourth, fifth, sixth, millionth chance to choose life. And I'm really glad that we're not God. (laughs) Because if you look at the world and the way it's happening, as I said, we would have given up on humanity a long time ago if it was up to us, wouldn't we? We would have sent that second flood and this time not even given Noah a chance. (laughs) If it was up to us. Because we see the brokenness, but thank God it's not up to us, it's up to him. And his mercies are new every morning. He is the God of second, third, fourth chances. He is patient, slow to anger and abounding in love. He keeps his side of the covenant even when we break ours. That's the thing I find so remarkable about God. A covenant is a two-way thing. It requires two parties to keep their part. And we fail our part time and time again, but he always keeps his promises. He always keeps his side of that promise. And thank him that he knows how high the stakes are, so much so that he himself was willing to pay for them. For you and for me, he knew how high the stakes were. And what he's offering those in this passage is that chance to turn to him. And so I was thinking, well, okay, that seems so challenging and so hard in many ways to receive. And there's so many things there about how we approach this passage and some wounds that we might carry that view how we passage us, uh, how we view that passage and how we reflect on that passage. And Jesus said, well, you have a perfect opportunity now to let the Spirit do that for you as you wait at the feet of Jesus together to allow him to do the work that I'm trying to do very badly through a preach, (laughs) to allow him to do something I can't do And bring that change in us. Because that call to a life of Jesus comes about by that gentle wooing of the Holy Spirit inviting you into that relationship. And we have the opportunity to invite him to do that now as we sit at the feet of Jesus as Becky and the team lead us.